remember we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit and the person and, and uh, uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we, we're trying to preach it from the point of view to bring people together. We are aware that um, in our church there are people from many different backgrounds that have been exposed to different uh, styles of, of church and different opinions about the person of the Holy Spirit. And rather than that letting this be something that divides the church, our desire is to bring the church together that we can fully enjoy the person of the Holy Spirit and all that He has to bring into the life of a church. And so we are fully committed to the Word of God. We value preaching uh, very highly and give a lot of time to preaching in the church. And at the same time, we value the person of the Holy Spirit and His ministry and what He can do. And uh, I love that the Holy Spirit can do what we cannot do. We can do our best to counsel, and we certainly do that. But the perfect counselor is the Holy Spirit. We can do our best to see people set free from emotional baggage, and that's great that we have that skill, and we have people in the church that are, are, are trained in that way to help people and counsel people. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's one who's the perfect counselor, and his name is Jesus. And we want to point people to the perfect counselor, the perfect teacher, the perfect healer. And so it's my responsibility this morning just to introduce the next sort of phase of, of uh, what we're going to be talking about. And I would like to look with you today at uh, the, 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 the whole theme of the prophetic. Uh, why do we need a prophetic church? What, is, what do we mean when we speak about a prophetic church? And uh, possibly why the church more than ever needs to become a prophetic voice to the generation in which we live. And so I'd like to start by reading a little extract from an article that I read this week in uh, the newspaper, and uh, you possibly saw it. it said, the headline of the article was this, Christians in the UK now out, are now outnumbered by atheists. Did you see this article? And this is the gist of what it said. Uh, almost half of those in England and Wales say today that they are of no religion, outnumbering those who identify as Christian for the first time. According to new research, around 48.5% of those surveyed in 2015 said they had no religion compared to the 25% that said the same thing in 2011. Those who identified themselves as Christians, including Anglicans, Catholics, and other denominations, made up 43.8%. The percentage describing themselves as Anglicans slid from 44% in 1983 to just 19% in 2014. In the same year, Catholics made up 8.3%, other Christians 15.7%, and those of non-Christian religions 7.7%. The data is from a 30-year study of the British Social Attitudes uh, Survey, although the report, uh, the contemporary Catholic, Catholic, how do you say? Catholicism, thank you, in uh, in England and Wales did not include Scotland or Northern Ireland. Stephen Bullivant, Senior Lecturer in Theology and Ethics at St. Mary's Catholic University in Twickenham, said there's a clear sense of growth of no religion as a proportion of the population. He told The Guardian, the main driver is people who were brought up with some kind of religion now saying they have no religion. We are seeing this as an acceleration in the numbers of people not only not practicing their faith on a regular basis, but not even ticking the box. The reason for that is the big question in the sociology of religion. He added that a major reason for the change in numbers was that Anglicans and Catholic churches are struggling to retain those that were brought up as Christian. So there are the stats for you, according to the Guardian newspaper. I'm always fascinated when they use words like atheist because I have, uh, in my experience, uh, 
have found that when you really speak to people, there are very, very few people that are actually atheistic, that are militantly atheistic. Most people are apathetic. Most people are at best agnostic. They couldn't be bothered to think about spiritual things rather than being aggressively atheistic. But uh, I want to pose a question as we start this morning, as we're looking at what it means to be a prophetic church. When you hear those stats, uh, how, do you, how do you react? What on the inside of you uh, rises up or, or doesn't rise up? Uh, how do you choose to respond to that kind of article? Um, well, I think there's a couple of responses we could have. We can, we can kind of quite apathetically shrug our shoulders. And like the Aussies say, it's just too hard. It's too hard to do anything about it. It's just too much bother. Or we can choose to respond in a different way. And I want to encourage you with all my heart this morning that perhaps this is the time, like no other, for the church to rise. If there ever was a time for the church to shine and be light to the world, it is now. If there ever was a time for the church to be what God always intended the church to be, it's now. Remember I said the book of Acts is not a historical document of what the church was. The book of Acts is what the church is and should be. And that should be our, our litmus test of what the church is. A passionate community filled with, with uh, love for Jesus that wants to see His kingdom come and is prepared to live fearlessly to see that happen. And so I want to put it to you that that should be our response this morning and I want to encourage you with all my heart to let something rise within you this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is that our Western world is becoming increasingly selfish, materialistic and lives for its own pleasure. It's increasingly uncaring, largely uncaring and, and devoid of a consistent moral compass. This week the G7 nations have been meeting. I don't know if you've been following that as well. That's, that's the, most, the seven most powerful countries in the world. And they agreed many years ago that each of them would give 0.7% of their total GDP in aid to uh, countries that deserve aid. So I heard on the radio this, this, this week that only the United Kingdom gives 0.7% of its GDP. Only one of the seven. Uh, Germany is in second place with 0.4% of its GDP. The U.S. in third place with 0.2% of its GDP. And the others, Japan, Canada, and France, and Italy, even less. <laughs> we are becoming increasingly uncompassionate in how we use our wealth. And uh, decision-making seems to be more and more made these days in so, uh, with the whole thing of individual rights right at the, the forefront of people's decisions and how they make decisions. Our secular culture, our humanist culture, it's increasingly hostile to spiritual things, especially to anyone who is perceived to be intolerant. And uh, our, our, our world is consciously trying to remove absolutes from society but there is one absolute that remains, and this is what I see over, over and over again. To be absolutely intolerant of people of faith, Christians and others, who are perceived not to embrace this new tolerance. We'll tolerate anything except that. Anyone who disagrees with tolerance is not tolerated. So it seems it's pretty much okay to say anything except to say that there's another kingdom that we live for. <laughs> that there's another king that we live for, where individual rights are not the most important thing, but the needs of the king are the most important thing. There's a king called Jesus, one king, 
Not many kings. Not many equal kings. One king who's the king of kings. Who rules in righteousness. Who rules with justice. Who rules with mercy. And ultimately holds all people to account for sin, for greed, for selfishness, for exploitation of others, and individualistic, uncompassionate use of money. All views are tolerated except that one. And I put it to you this morning, that is the most important view of all. That there's a king who rules from heaven, and his name is Jesus. And ultimately one day, every knee will bow under his rulership and his authority. And until then, we fearlessly proclaim his kingdom, regardless if people agree with us or not. Now I want to say this, some of these attitudes, although they're not initially obvious, are quickly exposed when complex issues come into our community, like mass immigration. Who should we give aid to? Should we choose to stay in the EU or leave the EU? And immediately when people's personal peace or their perceived personal peace and affluence, when that seems to be threatened, Although we don't like to admit it, the first thing that people quickly default to is this preservation of themselves and their situation rather than welfare for other people. Now, we might like to think that we don't respond like that, but largely we do. And I can understand that on one level. Absolutely. Everyone wants personal peace and a sense of uh, going forward in their lives. But I'll put it to you that ultimately... That's why we need to see the world change so drastically. It seems to me that our most, the highest need right now in the world is for a change of heart. That people would at least start to see things slightly differently, at least from God's, start to see the world from God's perspective. And I put it to you again this morning, the only one who can bring that kind of change into our hearts and lives, the only one who can transform us in that way, to help us to start to see the world through God's eyes, is Jesus. So how is Jesus going to transform people's lives? Well, according to those stats, it said that there's not many people that even say they've got any religion. I'm actually kind of encouraged by that, because my personal conviction is that what the world needs is less religion. What the world really needs is the gospel. What the world, and the gospel and religion are not the same thing at all. What the world needs is the power of the gospel, fearlessly, fearlessly proclaimed by believers of the gospel, which is good news to the world. That's what the world needs right now, is good news. Our communities need good news, not more religion. And if you've been part of this church for any while, what we are trying to do is to help people to see that we are called to live free in Christ, not religious people, but radical people that give ourselves for the kingdom, not just on a Sunday, but every single day of the week, Monday to Saturday. That's where the important things happen. The important thing happens where you work, in your community, whether it's a nurse or a lawyer, or you've got your own business, or wherever you're interacting, that's where the important stuff happens. And what we do on a Sunday is we get together and encourage each other and say, come on, what are you doing for Jesus? I want to encourage you. Whatever you're doing for Jesus, I'm behind you. I'm egging you on. I'm blowing wind in your sails. I'm praying for you that the power of the Holy Spirit would transform your life, and through your life you would transform many other people. That's what the main thing is about. This is not the main thing. As much as I love what we do on a Sunday. This is half time. This is like the football game where the coach gets together and says, come on, we're going to change our tactics. We're going to encourage you. Suck on these oranges. Take some, some water. 
get strong, we've got to go again, second half. That's what happens on a Sunday. And so I want to put it to you that when you hear those statistics, I want to put it to you that from the very beginning of the church, Christians have not needed to be in the majority to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Not ever. Not ever. Not for Jesus. Not for Paul. Not for the early church. Not for any of them. They were never in the majority until Constantine made Christianity the official religion. And then suddenly everybody became Christians. But until that time, for the first two or three hundred years of the church, Christians were always in the minority, were always being persecuted, sorry, were always being killed for their belief, and they fearlessly proclaimed what they believed under the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to encourage you with this. Don't say it's so hard right now. It is hard right now. I want to put it to you this. That's ne it was always hard for Christians. Why? Because cultures have never been open to a message that says, do not live for yourself, do not live for your own need, live for other people, give yourself away. Cultures don't like that. Why? Because culture wants to live for itself, wants to live for, to get as much wealth as it can, to, 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 to enjoy life as much as it can for, then, it, that culture for itself. It's never been any different. My challenge, my encouragement to all of us is this morning, can we rise up with passion as God's church? Can we fearlessly proclaim what we say we believe and live it out? That's what's going to change this, this nation. That's going to change our community, our school, our hospital, wherever we work. And you know what? You don't have to be agreed with and you don't have to be in the majority to love people as Jesus calls us to love them. That's good news. You know why? Because it doesn't matter, matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what the, the, the overarching culture says. You just get on and love people with all of your heart as Jesus asks you to do and you see people transformed one by one. That's how the kingdom comes. It's always been like that. Don't feel like we are beaten up as Christians. We've always been beaten up on. <laughs> always. Jesus said... If you want to be part of my kingdom, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And you know what? They killed me. They didn't like me. And quite possibly, it might be like that for you as you live for Jesus. I am trying to encourage you this morning. <laughs> and I put it to you this morning that kings and governments and emperors have tried for thousands of years to kill the message. And you know what? All they've done, all they've succeeded in doing is killing some of the messengers. They've never killed the message. And I put it to you right now that the message of Jesus will not be killed. And our responsibility as Christians is to proclaim that there's a loving Savior who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away the selfishness of the world and changes everyone who believes in His name so radically that those that are completely moving in the opposite direction from God are become His sons and become transformed to be more and more like his son, Jesus. That is the message we proclaim. Can I encourage you to rise with that message in you? To fearlessly proclaim that message. That is part of what needs to happen. And for that to happen, the church needs to change. And I don't say that with a pointing finger. I don't say that as someone who thinks I understand everything. I say that as someone who loves God's people, 
who is one of God's sons, who's being transformed in my own life, and as someone who loves the church. I say that, all of that, and then say at the same time, the church needs to change. And I'm convinced that for this, the, the church that we love to become effective, we have to increasingly become bolder in this very complex and problematic world in which we live right now. And one of the ways that we can do that is to learn what it means to understand the mind of God and the heart of God. And of course we can understand that through the Word, and God uses His Word to transform us. And then there's another way that we can learn something of the mind and the heart of God, is through the gift of prophecy, the prophetic. And Paul encourages the church about spiritual gifts, and we've been looking at that over the last couple of months. And he says this, he says, eagerly desire all of the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And I want to just lay a foundation this morning why Paul possibly says that. A.W. Tozer, you might have heard of him, a Canadian wonderful writer, he said this, we need to have the gifts of the Spirit restored again to the church, and it's my belief the one gift we need now, most more than ever, is the gift of prophecy. I, I agree with Tozer. I agree with Paul. I know this as a pastor, that the devil speaks to people in the church all the time. He speaks to them to discourage them. He speaks to them to tear them down to say they're disqualified, that they can't serve in God's kingdom, that they're not good enough. They, he, the devil causes people to doubt God's goodness to them. When you're unemployed for a long period of time, when you're sick for a long period of time, what does the devil come and whisper in your ear? Oh, God is not good to you. He loves everybody else except you. These are things that Christians have to deal with all the time. The voice of the accuser in our ear saying stuff to us which is just not true. I say that the devil speaks to, the, to many in the church all the time. And the main reason for that is that people find it difficult to hear God's voice for themselves. People find it difficult to know how to listen when God is speaking to them. And so I say to you more than ever right now, we need the gift of prophecy. And I say this to you also, that remarkably, there are very few Christians that are convinced in the church that God really wants to speak to them, that God really wants to encourage them and build into their lives about their future and the hope and the calling that He has for them. That's why we need the prophetic gift. So what then is prophecy? Well, let me just give you a couple of de definitions. Someone has put it like this. Prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak the mind of God on a given subject at a given time by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's a good definition. Someone else has said this. Prophecy is putting into words what God has presented to the mind in visual or verbal form. Again, Tozer. Prophecy must ar alarm, arouse, and challenge. It's God's present voice to His peculiar people. What about our friend R.T.? He puts it this way, R.T. Kendall. Prophecy is immediate revelation from God or knowledge that is beyond the perception of our senses. I like that as well. F.F. Bruce, the famous uh, New Testament scholar, he says this, Prophetic ministry is the declaration of the mind of God in the power of the Holy Spirit with special bearing on our current situation. And that's how people uh, have defined prophecy. And for, for those of you in the church, how many of you have ever had a prophetic word? Lots of us, isn't it? And you just know at the time you receive it, God is speaking to me right now. It, it confirms something in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You just know it's God. I always put it like this. You know in your knower, 
Do you just know in your Noah that God is speaking to you? That's the prophetic. That's the power of the prophetic. And uh, it's my, my conviction that the, the New Testament clearly teaches us about the church being a priesthood of all believers, that we are all priests. It's not just the, the guy at the front. It's just not the guy wearing the robes. We are all priests. There's a kingdom of priests, every single one of us. I'm also convinced that God desires a prophetic anointing, a prophetic gift to flow through every believer. Why do I say that? Well, we've been banging away at Acts chapter 2 now for many, many uh, weeks, and you know the, 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 that uh, Peter qu uh, quotes Joel 2 in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's said over and over again. There's a prophetic anointing that we can all see and hear the mind of God and the heart of God. We can hear it for ourselves, and it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, and God wants all of us to flow in that gift as believers, not just some special people, every single one of us. And here are ten reasons why I believe this prophetic gift is so needed and so important. And uh, how long have I been going? Did your heart sink when I said ten reasons? <laughs> I will be brief, all right? I will be brief. The first, the first of these is that prophecy exposes us to a vital dimension of Jesus' ministry to His church. That's why prophecy is so important. Remember Ephesians 4? But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Prophecy exposes us to a vital part of Christ's own ministry to the church. I think of it like this. I try and think of it in a simple way. Apostles govern. They're the ones that help us uh, put the church together so it functions properly and lay foundations. That's what apostles do. Prophets guide. Evangelists gather people. Pastors guard the Word of God. And teachers ground people in the Word of God. And we need all of those gifts to flow in the church so that the church can become all that God has for it. I, I, my conviction is that people are comfortable with the, with the pastor they're comfortable with the teacher. They're comfortable with the evangelist. We all want to see people saved. But when we talk about prophets and apostles, it's like, oh, let's not get weird. Oh, that's a little bit weird. That's a great tragedy for me in the church. And I, I have to put it to you that in my years of leading in church, in various churches, I have seen lots of eccentric behavior or weird behavior couched in the thing of we are being prophetic. No, actually, you're just being weird. I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm talking about the heart of God. I'm talking about prophecy that reveals to us God's heart right now for His church and for His people. I'm not talking about weird behavior. I grew up in a student church, and we often had people demonstrate things, and they would dress up funny and, and you know, always quote Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah lay on his side for six months, and, and you know that whole thing that he demonstrated to God's people? whole kind of picture, and so they tried to live in this kind of strange way in, in order of, to show prophetic stuff, and some of it was good, but some of it was just weird, just strange. No wonder people think prophetic people are weird and strange, because sometimes they behave in a weird and strange way, 
That's not what I'm talking about. We must be wild for God, radical for God, full of God's heart. We don't have to be weird. We can just be God's people that live for Him fearlessly and reveal His heart to others. Are you with me? And it's a tragedy when we throw away the prophetic gift because we don't want to be weird and we, uh, we let cynicism overwhelm our hearts. God's church loses out. I want to encourage you. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to cheerlead for the gift of prophecy in this church, that we would encourage each other, that we would stand with each other, that we would lift each other's arms up through the prophetic word. I put it to you this, I, I like this phrase, the currency of prophecy is hope. The currency of prophecy is hope. How many of you need hope for your life? I need hope for my life. How many of you want courage for your life? No one else except me, a couple of others, come on now. The currency of hope, the currency of courage is the prophetic. It's hearing God's heart for your life right now. That's what enables you to persevere. That gives you strength. That gets you out of bed in the morning. I can do this. Why? Because God has spoken to me right now. That's why we need the prophetic. Second, prophecy conveys vision and purpose to the people of God. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless He reveals His secrets to His servants, the prophets. There's a real sense that the prophetic gift is the eye of the church. It's the eyes of the church. On, on, a, on any given leadership team, you need someone with a prophetic gift. Why? Because we want to see what God is doing. But those that have a prophetic gift are able to help shape direction, make people aware of the season that they are in, and warn people of the pitfalls that they see ahead, and they encourage people in the particular emphasis that God is bringing at that time. That's what the prophetic gift does. That's why we need it. I like to see it like this. How many of you have ever been on a boat? Yeah, you know those pleasure cruises. And sometimes you'll see uh, when you go out in deeper water, whatever, you'll see someone standing on the bow of the boat to, to see if there are rocks underneath. To say to the captain, the guy driving, no, let's go this way, there are rocks here. Don't go there, we need to go here. That's what the prophetic gift does. The prophetic gift is like the seeing eye standing on the bow of the ship saying, no, church, there's, some, uh, there's a pitfall here, let's go right. No, not, 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 not left, let's go right. We need to go right. We need to change direction here. That's what the prophetic gift does. Thirdly, the prophetic prophecy prepares and strengthens the church for things to come. Uh, Ezra 5.2 The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. They built and they finished it. The elders built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. I know this is true in a very practical way, because in key moments in this, the life of this church, God has given us a prophetic word that has warned us or encouraged us about what is to come. It was like that for when we planted this church. We had a prophetic word that clearly said, now is the time to go, and we left, and we arrived here in 2000, and we planted the church. We had a clear word from God after we moved into this building that there would be a season of sifting, 2008, and God would sift the church, and we thought there would be a quick thing. went on for three to five years. But he said, after you've been sifted and you've been comforted, comfort your brothers. And that's what we believe the season is in now for the church, that that's over and God has comforted us, and now there's many being comforted through the ministry of this church. It was a prophetic word that came to us. I know this. 
that the ministry of the prophetic is future-orientated. It's always future-orientated. Leading the church is hard, and keeping it on track is hard. Leading a business is hard. Keeping it on track is hard. And the prophetic thing that God gives to us enables us to perceive what is happening and persevere and keep going. And so when I say to you that the currency of the prophetic is hope, I absolutely believe that with all my heart. Someone put it like this. They said, all the, pro the prophetic types do is spend their time going around building everyone's hopes up. Yes. Amen. Great. Go for it. That's what we need. We all need our hope to be built up. We all need someone standing on our shoulders saying, yes, you can do it. It's not too hard. Actually, you can do it. Actually, there is a vision for your life. Actually, do persevere because God has a glorious future for you. Come on now. How many of you want to come to a church that says it's too hard to do anything? Just give up now. Just die and go to heaven. It's better in heaven. Come on now. No one would want to be a part of churches like, like that, surely. No, we want people to stand alongside us and say, come on. There's a future that is glorious, and Jesus has that future for you. Fourthly, I said I'd be quick. I'm trying to be quick. Fourthly, prophecy confirms and focuses the direction and leading that God's servants have already received. And I'm just going to quote two scriptures to you. Acts 13. I love Acts 13. It's about the church in Antioch. Why do I love it? Because it says there were teachers there, Barnabas, Simeon. It's always a Nigerian in the, anywhere in the world. Wherever you go, they're Nigerians. I love that. In the church in Antioch, there's a Nigerian. That's what it says. Barnabas, Simeon, who was Nigerian, who's called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, someone in the royal... Uh, uh, um, and then Manian, a lifelong friend of Herrick the Tetrarch. He was involved with the royal family. And so, I love that. That's why I think the church must be multicultural. Why? Because the church in Antioch, the early church, was multicultural. You see, it's black and white. All these different people from all over the world, loving God with all of their hearts, serving Him, being, living fearlessly for His kingdom. Come on, we can do that too. We can do that too. And the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them sent them off. So it confirmed what they were already feeling. They were doing something. They were praying and fasting together, saying, God, what, what do you want us to do? We feel this. The Holy Spirit comes, says, yep, this is what you should do. They, it resonates in their heart. They say, absolutely, that's it. And they go off and do what God's called them to do. The Holy Spirit, through the prophetic, confirms direction. Acts 21 when they were staying for many days, a prophet called Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound him with his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and delivers him into the hands of the Gentiles. He's warning Paul, he's saying, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, that's going to happen to you. And Paul went to Jerusalem, <laughs> and it did happen to him. But the Holy Spirit was already telling him, warning him of what was to come. Fifthly, the prophetic strengthens, encourages, and comforts the body of Christ. And we know this well from 1 Corinthians 14. And I just want to look in a little bit in detail at uh, these words, these Greek words, and just put it in another way, because often we hear things so much that we lose the kind of power. And I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard that, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting the body of Christ. Well, there, there's a number of Greek words that Paul uses here uh, that... Um, the first is okemodo, which means to edify or to build up. It means to complete or furnish the church. I love that. The, 
the, the, uh, the prophetic helps to furnish the church. It helps to bring completion. It helps to kind of get all the little details in order. Don't you love that picture? We refurnished the coffee shop. What did that mean? It meant everything that was needed, we put together, and God helped us to see to what we needed. That's what the prophetic does. The prophetic helps to see what the church needs and furnishes the church to bring it to completion. I love that. Okay, that's what the prophetic does. Secondly, parakaleo, which comes from parakletos, the same thing, of uh, the, the comforter, the exhorter. It, prophecy helps us to hear the counsel of God and to be encouraged. It's like the comforter comes alongside and says, this is what, God's gonna say, this is what God says to you. He counsels you. He encourages you. And then you feel encouraged. Uh, pararrhythmia also means to encourage. It's a lovely picture in the Greek has of calming your fears and bringing peace. I love that. Parakletos again. Calming your fears and bringing peace. How many of you woken up in the middle of the night with just irrational fear? Anyone? I've had that many times in my life. Don't know what's stressing me, but something's stressing me. It's in those times that the parakletos comes. When you pray, God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and brings calmness and peace into your life. That's part of His ministry. That's what He does for the church. He brings calmness and peace into the church comes alongside the church. Elen means to convict. It's like a legal term. It's like God shows us all the evidence, like in a court of law, you show all the evidence, and the evidence convinces you. That's what it means. Same way, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Helps us to see all the evidence and brings conviction into our lives of the rightness of what God is saying. And last... Um, Lastly, manatheo means to instruct in a way to bring someone to a place that's going to influence them, that they change, and there's a result of the change. I love that. That's how the Holy Spirit instructs us. The power of the Holy Spirit comes, and He brings change in our lives. Last, uh, not lastly, sixthly, uh, prophecy carries a tremendous persuasive power with unbelievers. That's why we need it in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, again, if therefore the whole church comes together and speaks in all kinds of tongues, and an outsider or unbeliever comes in, well, they not say that you're out of your mind. But if, all, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider comes, he is convinced and convicted by all, he is called to an account by all, and the secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship and declare that God is really among you. That's what the prophetic gift does. And I've seen that many, many times. It's the most powerful um, evangelistic tool. I just want to tell you the story because uh, I, it was what I remembered when, we were, when, when I was preparing. We went a lot to Taiwan uh, and the Far East many years ago, and we were on this um, outreach in a place called Taichung, and we were trying to get these people um, to, to come to our meetings. You know, as you do in evangelistic, you want to see people saved. So we were out in the streets doing our thing, and uh, I remember we went to, asked this one guy, I said, do you know Jesus? And he looked at me and said, um, no, I never heard of Jesus, but if you go around the corner, they might have heard of him, might know who he is there. That's literally, I mean, they didn't know the name of Jesus. So we're trying to evangelize, get people to come. They didn't even know what we were talking about. No, don't know Jesus, but if you go around the corner, you might find him there. That's one way of evangelizing. There's another way of evangelizing. Helen's in a shop, just doing shopping, sees this lady, feels God speak to her, say, that lady there, I'm going to give her a child. 
She goes up to the lady. She says, you don't know me from a bottle of soap. This is through an interpreter. But God says to you, 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 you're going you're to have a child. And this woman absolutely breaks down. We find out later that they've been trying to have children for years, her and her husband. Couldn't. Who do you think came to the meeting with all of their family and all of their friends? The lady who had been prophesied over that God wanted to give breakthrough to her. It's a powerful evangelistic tool when we speak God's word, and sometimes you don't even know what you're saying. You're, you're, it's a f thing that you're responding in faith to say, and God uses it in an amazing way to break open someone's heart so He can work in their lives. It's incredible. The prophetic is such a powerful evangelistic tool. And uh, seventhly, prophecy restores an accurate view of ourselves where Satan has distorted it or where sin has distorted it. I love the story of, um, of uh, Gideon in, in uh, Judges 6. You know the story well. He's hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. He so discouraged this guy that he's like, you, you, sh you should be treading out grapes in a wine press. He's hiding from the Midianites and he's in such fear that he's just, he's kind of, he's, he's doing his grain there to hide. It's the best place to hide. And in the middle of that discouragement, in the middle of that kind of uh, image of himself that has been distorted by fear and by other things, God comes and speaks a prophetic word through an angel to, to, to uh, Gideon and simply says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> this guy who's completely shriveled in his own confidence, he's completely uh, fearful, hiding from everybody, the prophetic comes to him and God speaks to him and says, you who are hiding in a white press, you are the one who's going to deliver your people. Rise up, mighty warrior. How many of you need that kind of courage? Come on now. All of us, of course, we all get discouraged. I am being Pentecostal right now. I need an amen. amen. Tim, get on the organ and do the kind of... <laughs> and I believe that prophecy often just restates what is obvious to God about us, but has been distorted through fear, through discouragement, through failure, and we begin to believe what is not true rather than what God says about us. And the prophetic comes and reminds us, says, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Rise up. Eight, prophecy warns us of danger and brings correction. I just want to say Matthew 2. Uh, I'm going quickly now. Um, Acts 11, the story of Agabus again. A warning of a coming famine. Uh, he, the, the prophetic comes through Agabus. What about Revelation? The first three chapters of Revelation, we see God prophetically speaking into His church, trying to encourage churches that are not doing well and letting them know why they're not doing well. His prophetic word comes and says, come on, this is what you need to change. Repent of that so that there can be breakthrough. That's what the prophetic does. Ninthly, pro uh, prophecy makes ordinary preaching and teaching extraordinary. What I mean by that? Well, the word that we preach is, is, is the logos. The word, the Greek there is, is logos. But it becomes rhema through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Rhema is when the word of God becomes real to you in an extraordinary way. The, the word, the logos, it, through the power of the Holy Spirit makes complete sense for you at that moment in your life. It's a rhema word to you right then. I don't know how else to express it. And what does that do? That imparts boldness to you. There's a specific revelation that comes for the church or for an individual 
that God wants to say in a specific situation, and it makes ordinary preaching extraordinary. There might be one thing that I've said this morning. Hopefully for some of you there's one thing, and you just go, bah, yes, that resonates with me. That's the, the, the Logos becoming rhema for you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what prophetic preaching should do. It brings to life the, the exact thing that God wants to say to you. You know, as a preacher, I've experienced that many times. You preach your message, and someone comes to you afterwards and says, it was amazing that you said that. And they explain what it is, and you think, I didn't say that. That's not what I intended at all. But what was that? That was a Logos word, you just preaching, faithfully preaching the word, and the Holy Spirit for that person brings to life something for them that they need right then in their seat, and it, brings, it becomes rhema for them. It becomes life to them. And they go away encouraged. Lastly, Prophecy reveals God's heart to us. Tim, if you want to come with the musicians, please. Uh, prophecy reveals God's heart to us. Isaiah 61. I love this. You know it well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those that are bound up, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those in mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They will build up the ancient ruins, they will raise up the former devastations, they will repair ruined cities and the devastation of many generations. I love that. Why? Because prophecy, when the, Isaiah prophesying there, does two things. He not only shows the people the heart of God, but he also, uh, through what he says, it enables people to minister the heart of God. That's what the prof prophetic word does. It so encourages us on the inside and builds us up that we are able then to minister God's heart to other people, to bind up the brokenhearted. To, to proclaim freedom for those that are in captivity. This is what the prophetic gift does. This is why we need it. This is why the church, more than ever, needs it now. Amen?